0: It's uh, awfully good uh, to be uh, with you. I'd ask you to join with me by turning your Bibles to Matthew, the 26th chapter. We'll read of the Lord's observance of the supper and then a passage concerning their uh, scattering and being scandalized, as the text says. If you would find your way there, let me say to you just a word about this morning. We'll read through the text, a little bit of explanation as we go, and then a single devotional thought before we observe the supper together. But let me trace this text for you. You find your place in verse 26, but if you were to read the whole chapter, you'd see in those first three verses or so, I think it's Matthew's intention to suggest this, that Jesus is the one who sets this great series of events in motion. It's what he does that is the catalyst or the initiative to this entire course of events. Then, in verse 3, they, in response, plot to take his life. Attention is given as the chapter progresses to two individuals. First, a woman who comes and breaks open uh, this expensive gift and anoints Jesus. You remember that her action was somewhat scandalous itself. There are some uh, disciples who are concerned that this kind of extravagance, this expensive gift, was used in anointing Jesus. Somehow we get all concerned about money uh, when we see somebody getting extravagant with worship and so on, right? It's funny when um, folks get um, interesting. The old preacher's joke is that when when the preacher gets a vacation time or convention time, then people get concerned about world hunger, right? Well, the idea is this. They just thought this expensive gift was sort of misspent. There are people who need this gift. And Jesus comes to her defense and suggests that her awareness of this extravagance worship is an awareness awareness of this great momentous moment, this key sort of moment in Jesus' entire life. And she recognizes this moment. She knows the time the season, what's about to happen, and her action is appropriate in that light. Then the other individual is Judas, and before or as the supper gets underway, Judas and his plot and his scheme known to Jesus, again, Jesus seems so in charge. Jesus takes the initiative, and he's dismissed to go and do his betraying. And then he's left with those other, the eleven. And he reinterprets the Passover meal to point to his own gift, the gift of his very life. The body broken, the blood outpoured, and now his life will be understood as this bond of covenant between God and his people. In verse 26, We read these words. And while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant." which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they'd sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus told them, This very night, you will fall away on, my, uh, on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And after, or but after, I have risen, I will, words like a shepherd, go ahead of you into Galilee. Then Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the disciples said the same. This event of supper is again using images throughout the Old Testament. I'll mention just a few. This whole idea of the blood of the covenant is cemented into the mind of the Bible reader back in Exodus 24. When this covenant is being established and Moses is able to go and to take the blood of the sacrifices, he throws half of it Upon the altar, and then he comes out to the gathered people, and he slings the other half out onto the people. That's a splash stone like you wouldn't think about, right? Now listen, the idea is this, the blood, which is this very source and uh, and the very the very place of life where, where life takes place and the energy of life resides, this very this very instrument of life now is yielded and bonds them together, God and people, now tied together as one in covenant. Perhaps Jesus' words also echo Zechariah 9, the blood of the covenant. Uh, with the, the idea of the new covenant being established, it very well may be that Jeremiah 31 is, is alluded to. But now the image is clear, the means, the gift, the sacrifice by which the new binding between God and his people is established is the gift and sacrifice of Jesus. He goes on to make his death the centerpiece of God's initiative to forgive and to extend forgiveness to the world. And there the words probably are echoed from Isaiah 53. He changes Matthew subtly, but it's this idea for the blood, for the many are now going to receive the benefit and receive this forgiveness when this blood is poured out. It is for these many, His people. And here... You have the coming together of covenant and forgiveness woven together. And he ties this knot so securely. They seem to be with him, but maybe they don't understand, it would seem, the full import of what they're hearing. But no doubt they'll think back on this night, not only thinking back about their own failure along the way, But they'll think back on this night, and the scriptures alluded to, and the purposeful recasting of Passover. And they will think and see Jesus in a new light. The uh, the title for the message and the devotional thought that we'll end with is a happy mistake when reading this text. I misread quickly Simon Peter's words for Jesus' words. Uh, it, it awakened me, and I thought, that's not right. That does not happen there. I know um, Jesus pledges to be with him at the end of this gospel and, and, and so on, but that, that just can't be right. And I, and I read it again, and sure enough, it's Peter who says, even if I have to die, I will never abandon you. But the happy mistake brought this devotional idea to mind. And that is that Peter, despite all of his desire, all of his devotion, all of his love for Jesus, all of his loyalty, and all the courage he can muster at the time, he can't keep these promises. He is frail. He will go on to grow and become strong and faith. It exercised faith that is deep. And indeed, one day, the tradition is that he does surrender his life as a witness to Christ. But for this night, he'll be feeble. And for this season, there's only one person in the story who lives up to these words. And it is Jesus. Jesus is the one who faces death. And Jesus is the one who does not disown them, He does not desert them, He does not abandon them. And despite the fact that they all run and disown and abandon Him, He's not guilty of deserting them. He goes back to Zechariah and He quotes there this image of the shepherd. They're going to strike the shepherd. And when they do, the the flock around the shepherds is going to scatter. And it's not only uh, so many, uh, maybe in Israel, who have not followed along Jesus in this uh, course, but it's His inner circle, even the flock right around Him, is not going to make this journey. They will be frightened, and they will run away. And worse than that, they will even deny, they even know who Jesus is. They will put distance, they will disown, they will betray, they will abandon. It's only Jesus who stays the course. He doesn't leave them, but like a good shepherd, He picks up where they can pick up again. When I am raised, He says, using the words as a shepherd, I'm going to go ahead of you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to be going ahead of you and you can follow me to Galilee. Galilee is where sort of the the Jewish faith and people face outward. It's when Galilee where so much of Jesus' teaching occurred. And now he says, you'll have to walk back there with me. And once again, I'll teach you to face outward in the world. And I'm going to commission you and I'm going to give you the privilege now to be faithful where you were faithless before. I'm going to give you the permission to pick up the pieces of your broken and feeble faith and pick up things again and be made new in the power of my life and in the power of my resurrection be set back on track, and now be given the task of continuing the work that I'm going to do, knowing full well that many of them would have died just like they boasted they would that night. But not that night. That night, faith was feeble. And only the faithfulness of Jesus sees them through. Now, dear ones, I don't want to give you a devotional thought that says you can just do anything you want, no matter how many times you fail, or if you're not even peddling on your part, not even sort of trying to respond to the grace of God and the Spirit's work in your life, everything will be okay because Jesus is faithful when we're not. I don't want to inspire you to be sluggerly and to be disrespectful for, toward this great gift that we're about to remember instead i want you to see that it is the case and we have proof of faith just our own we have proof proven feeble so many times along the way but even when we were feeble even when we abandoned him and some churchmen think this way some ancient voices think this way that Really, every time we sin, it's sort of a disowning of the king and an abandoning of the kingdom, a losing side of the mission. And I'll just say with you, you will never outgrow sin and we'll have some major sort of, major sort of failures along the way. It is the course of our life. But when we fail, Jesus is faithful. Now, if you really get a hold of this faith and you really seize this shepherd and make him your own, and if you really trust yourself and you really call out to him, and this process of faith really begins in you, you won't just take your feet off the pedal. Instead, you'll do like Simon Peter and the others did. You'll be renewed and restored, and you'll be moved more by Jesus' faithfulness in the face of your faithlessness. And you'll be moved so much that we'll do for Him what we never thought we could do. We'll go on to live out all the claims of our worshipful boasting that we'll be with you, we'll be with you no matter what, we'll be with you to the end. Hmm. That's only true because the shepherd has picked up his sheep on numerous occasions, gathered them together, and led them anew, restored them when they failed. And the one person who lives up to Simon's boasting, even if I had to die, I'll never desert you, I'll never disown you, I'll never betray you, I'll never walk away from you, never to come back, I'm I'm not abandoning you. The only one who backs that up is Jesus. Don't trust any other approach to life. But casting your care and your faith and your loyalty on this one who proves true. Who is faithful even to death. And if you place your faith in Jesus Christ and begin the journey of faith and walk with him, become his disciple, he will never desert you.
1: Just as I am without i